What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Fast Money starts right now. Live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, David Seberg, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast. The Facebook fallout rages on, the stock heading for its worst week since 2014 as it continues to come under fire. The company is saying it is outraged. We've got a special report on what is next for the social media giant and what it may mean for the markets. Plus, the crypto universe coming back with a vengeance. But top strategist Tom Lee says, forget the altcoins. Bitcoin is still your best bet. He'll be here to tell us why. But first, we start off with the Fed's moment of truth. Fed Chair Jerome Powell getting ready to spread his wings at his first news conference tomorrow as Fed Chair, which he is expectedly expected to widely, widely expected, excuse me, too high interest rates. And Wall Street will be hanging on his every word as the 10-year yield climbs in anticipation of accelerated rate hikes. And as we've seen about a volatility in the past month or so, can the markets withstand an attack of a hawkish Fed? I don't believe they can, Mel. But let me be clear. I've thought the Fed was going to derail this rally for the last five or six years. And quite frankly, they've threaded this needle for that entire period of time. Brian Sullivan was here a few weeks ago. He said the markets like to test new Fed shares. I'm in accord with that. And I do think they're going to raise four times this year. And my sense is it's going to create some more heightened volatility in the market. So I do think a hawkish Fed is market negative. Didn't we see the volatility already in anticipation of the anticipated four rate hikes? We, we did. Uh, look, I, I, I totally agree with what Guy's saying. I, I think the question is, really, how, how much has this Fed been priced into this market? And are people aligned with a Fed that's going to move three or four times this year? Um, if you look at the two-year note, to me, that is the greatest tell. It's gone from 220, uh, sorry, 127 roughly on February, uh, sorry, September, call it mid-September last summer, um, to now being at 233, 234. And that's extraordinary when you consider the sensitivity I think a lot of households have still to LIBOR and short-term interest rates. So um, I think people are expecting the Fed to be, uh, I think, not pushing the apple cart. And I think you have to be careful about that. So I fall on Guy's side. Yeah, but you remember a few weeks ago we had the financial, we had Jerome Powell in front of the financial services committee. And, you know, that first day he was a little too optimistic. The market sold off. And then he comes back and he kind of tempers, you know, the enthusiasm a little bit. I mean, my sense is this, is that, you know, I know Jeffrey Gunlock was out saying last week, warning that, uh, 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 you know, 3% 3% on the 10-year Treasury yield is going to be a problem for equities. I just think really it depends how quickly it happens. I don't think Powell is going to be overly optimistic tomorrow, getting people to start pricing in four hikes this year. Uh, and then you have a situation where it's really back to all the other stuff that we talk about with markets, about valuation, about geopolitical concerns, you know, um, about the rate of growth, how is Q1 GDP coming along, that sort of thing. I actually just don't think it's a big disaster because I don't think we're going to see four hikes consecutively this year. I think the market's going to have a lot of time to figure it out. I agree. I think the, the important thing is to have, you know, sort of unchanged from a dots perspective. So three and two, three this year, two next year, um, maybe three and three, if you, if you can look You're at it that way. You're following the dots when the dots have been way well, off. Well, the dots have been way off. Here's the important dots. part. There are lots of missing dots. The, important part is the, language, the, dots. the language and getting a little bit more hawkish. So if they do move next year a little bit and push it out, or they do go to four this year, let's say they go to four, I think it's important that the language, you know, sort of, you know, supports it. So 
maintaining a three and having more hawkish language, I think, is a, a sweet spot scenario. And the markets then, the fear of, uh, of essentially falling behind the curve, are alleviated. And I think that's a super important point to make. Falling behind the curve could be the biggest risk right now for the Fed. I think the market's looking at it that way. Hold on. Falling behind the curve Absolutely. indicates that we've got problems and that there's inflation there, and that's look, that's that's the, the data. Look, I, I'm with you, but the data thus far has been really positive, right? We've had some, you know, sort of ebbs and flows on that, but ultimately there is a concern that we do fall behind the curve, and in in falling behind the curve is a, is much more negative, in my opinion, than raising rates and having yields go above three percent. Well, look, I, I, here's, here's one thing I want to say about the Fed and the markets, because uh, the Fed has been the squelch. Remember the squelch button on your band sure, radio, your squelch. ham radio guy in the 70s? No idea. The squelch button would basically take down the noise. And that's yeah. what the Fed has effectively been doing for the last eight years. Uh, and I think that's clearly out of the way. And I think people that think and thought this six weeks ago when the market was spiking yeah. up to 40, that the Fed would step in to help them out. Fed's not listening. OK, I can tell you right there's now. No more, the, there's no more put. put. No, there's, 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 there's no not Fed a Fed put. put in the same way that, oh, right. markets are turbulent. The Fed's not going to go. I don't believe that. Or the puts so price we might, lower. We might be in an environment now where if the Fed raises four times this year, it's market negative. And if they don't, it's, it's market, market negative. Because maybe people will finally say, listen, after eight years, what do they see that that's, the rest of us don't see? Point. Or what are they concerned right. about? So we might be in Dan shaking well, his head. No, maybe I, I think that eight-year period into the recovery is the most important thing. If you go back and you think about 04, 05, 06, how many rate increases did we have over that period? It was a pretty foregone conclusion that we were going to get Fed funds back up to, you know, 5% or something like that. And they did that. And we were in a raging bull market. So I guess the big difference now is that we have literally just got done with QE and ZERP over the last couple years now. Fed funds is at what? Going to be one and a half percent or something like that. They got a lot of wood to chop um, over the next couple years. And the question is, is the recovery stall out before that? I don't think we have to worry so much about overheating and inflation and Fine. all this sort of stuff. I think it's just more about when does the bull market but, 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 so let's out? Stop. When do we, we go to the next recession? Pers- I, so you're, let's just say you're right. You're saying the market Probably maybe... <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe the you know, market either overheats or maybe there's not enough growth. But either right. way, you think that's ultimately going to take the pressure off the Fed. You know, my view is that the markets either way are suffering. Markets are, are priced in that we're going to actually have record corporate earnings, uh-huh. that we can take a higher multiple. They're doing it that at a VIX. It's at 12. They're doing it that at an S&P multiple. That, or I should say price to sales, price to book is very expensive here. Yeah. I mean, from a market's perspective, those two things you just described, don't let that market go higher. So let's say tomorrow goes perfectly, right? And it's a sweet spot meaning sort what? of hit. Meaning that there's, you know, they, they move they move, and there's uh, no change to the dots. So three this year, they say. And, okay. you know, the commentary is a little bit sort of it, it weighs on being, you know, optimistic, right? Do you buy the market? I mean, the market will rally. Do you just jump in and buy the market as we move higher? Or do you, or do you get concerned a little bit about the other headwinds that, that are out That there? was going to be my question. That is, if I'm we sorry, are, no. no, 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 but if we're pricing at 100% for tomorrow, 80% right. for June, and then the last one is sort of up in the air. I mean, what, what do you do here? This because goes back. chances are that's what's going to happen. This, do you think Jerome Powell is actually going to say, yeah, we're going to do, I mean, do you think he's going to leave the door open? Yeah, I think he's going to leave the door because open. Because first quarter data language- is usually weird. Right? It's, it's, right. it's, it's through it. not been right. epically strong right. in the past. Or accurate. So we'll play the game with you because that's what we do here yeah. in the A block. We play the game. But So we go back to what conversation we had last week, though, where is this now a sell-the-rally market? And I would suggest, yeah, I do think it is. So if you were to see the market rally tomorrow on the back of this, I think, listen, today's performance with the broader market, I know the Dow was up 100 points. Forget it. The S&P was up four handles after yesterday, which typically a turnaround Tuesday. Nothing turned around, quite frankly. Right. So I don't think today's price action was all that 
good. Well, I'll just say this. You know, I've been kind of consistent about this. If you go back and you look at the sell-offs that we had in the summer of 2015, August and September, we had this double bottom where we had a situation where September tested August, and then you go to Q1 of 2016, January and February, the oh. same thing. February tested. I really think there's a test of the February lows coming in the next couple months. I think the high that we saw in the NASDAQ is in. Because here's the one thing. We're going to talk about the tech stuff later. Right. I think Weren't you just I, pretty constructive about this environment? No, I, I understand. But, Tim, you know, you got to understand. I, what I'm talking about is that parabolic move that we had since tax cuts has been taken out here. So the fact that the S&P did not make a new high with the NASDAQ, right. the fact that now the heavy big names, the concentrated names in the NASDAQ, I down. think have a, a, you know, a top to them near term. I think the S&P under, uh, underperformance is really important. I think the Russell's expensive. And I think we are going to test those February lows. I'm not saying I, we're crashing. I'm not saying the bottom's I, I, coming out. I, right. I agree right. with you. I mean, I, I looked. I tried to screen stocks today, looking across the board at names that I found compelling from a valuation perspective, from a near-term catalyst perspective. It is incredibly difficult in this environment. I don't care what sector it is. Even with to, earnings season coming even up, with earnings, which like, everybody says is going to be the next catalyst for the markets. I could find niche names that I like and I appreciate that have near-term catalysts that I'll be able to make big on. But ultimately, I don't care what sector it is. And you know, I love biotech, biopharma. Right now, I feel like it's a little bit blah. The, the sentiment. What you said, biopharma right now oh, is a little bit blah. 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 Even the financial trade has been sort of like worn itself out a little bit for the near term. So I look at it and say, I found a very difficult time today buying things. All right. So will the Fed trigger more market volatility? Let's ask Vanguard's chief investment officer, Greg Davis. He oversees all five trillion dollars of Vanguard investments. Greg, great to have you with us. Um, great to be on with you. I don't think that we've spoken since you're promotion. So congratulations to Chief Investment Officer. Thank um, you very much. It's, it's great to have you with us. Uh, what do you think is going to happen tomorrow? I think uh, what we believe, what we believe is we're going to see a quarter percent rate hike tomorrow, pretty much in line with market expectations. And a likelihood we'll see a total of three for this year, three quarter point uh, rate hikes this year. And for next year? We're, we're assessing it to be three as well. But it's really going to be a scenario where you know, it's depending upon the economic data that comes in and specifically around inflation and whether or not we see a pickup in inflation over time. What do you what do you think the tone Jerome Powell is going to take? I mean, do you think the that he'll be hawkish or dovish? Do you th I mean, he also has to answer a lot of Q&A and presumably some of that Q&A is going to have political questions, which he will have to walk a fine line on. Yeah, I think it's going to be a steady as you go, as she goes type of mentality where he's going to try to remain calm and assure the market that they're on the right path. But they're going to have to verify that with the data that comes in over time and then adjust accordingly. So I, I don't think he's going to come out and try to surprise the market in any, 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 any way there. Hey, Greg, it's Tim. In terms of credit spreads, because that's, that's been the part and that's really what you're watching. Um, if you see the economy start to slow down a little bit, um, where do you think we're going to feel that? And which markets right now do you think are not priced for that? I think you'll see it both in the investment grade market as well as high yield. I mean, we've seen high yield spreads widen out a touch this year. But if you look at, uh, you know, where investment grade spreads are relative to historical levels, they are still relatively compressed. They're trading basically at the, call it the 25th percentile relative to the long-term averages. So, you know, if we were to see a deterioration, um, you know, we think there's uh, investment grade spreads could go wider. Your forecast, though, Greg, in terms of three this year, three next year, in sort of a you know steady as she goes, that's is that the most bullish scenario for the markets at this point? That's th that probably is. I mean, it's it's kind of what the market's pricing in, and it basically would say that hey, the economy is running along at a pace that's uh, that's favorable, and we haven't seen any real upside pressure from an inflation standpoint, and that's really like the Goldilocks: solid growth, 
moderate inflation, and that's a scenario where we think that you know, credit spreads could remain anchored, and that's supportive for equity valuations as well. So what kind of valuation should Goldilocks have? <laughs> you know, I, I'd say that if you look at, if you look at uh, again, investment-grade investment grade spreads, you know, what we would say from that standpoint is that, you know, we're probably at fair levels at this point in time, provided all goes well. But again, if there's any type of surprises in terms of a Fed being more aggressive, there's definitely downside risk when it comes to investment grade relative to uh, Treasury securities. And in terms of the, the things that you're the economic data points that we've seen so far, are there any data points that you would look to and say, you know what, maybe that would cause Powell to deviate from script? You know, the one thing that, uh, you know, I, we found quite interesting, if you take a look at the underemployment rate, now we've been talking a lot about the unemployment rate being at 17-year 17 17-year 17 lows, but if you look at the underemployment rate relative to where it was in 2000, we still have a ways to go. That's at 8.2%, and the 2000 low was like 6.8. So there's still a lot of room when you look at the underemployment, which factors in unemployment, those individuals working part-time because they can't find full-time jobs, as well as those who are marginally attached. So from a slack standpoint, there, should, there could still be some additional room that's not factored into the straight unemployment rate. All right, Greg, thanks so much for your time. Appreciate it. Appreciate you having me on. Greg Davis, Chief Investment Officer at Vanguard. What do you think, Guy? I think Greg's a brilliant man. I think he does very thoughtful work. I think three and three would probably be market friendly. But I also think we're probably, you know, Tim was just in Florida at spring training. Allow me to do this. For As he does every year. Every year. Scouting. Yes. Baseball's a great game. A lot of guys can pitch the fifth, sixth, and seventh inning. <laughs> okay. Very few people can close. Mm. Mr. Powell is now find his way to be the closer for the Fed. And I'm not certain he has it in him to close because this game, i got to tell you something. It's kind of what happened with nasty. two Batances a couple times last year. Now you're off the rails just, with Batances. I'm not sure he really had it. Speaking in tongues, anyway. what do we think? All right, back on track here. That was on track. He was not on real, track. Uh, spring sport here. No, I'll just say this. You know, we were just talking about this is the longest economic expansion post-war that we've had, right? And we also have one of the longest bull markets in over 90 years or something like that. Here's the thing. We've never seen it before. Last night, Tony Dwyer was saying, guys, chill out, right? Like, until the yield curve inverts, we're not right. going to have it. It's not good, Tony Dwyer. Yeah, you know, you know like, blah, blah, blah. But again, we're He's not going by the same playbook. You know, when you think about where the market topped out, Fed funds in 2000 was at 6%. In 2007, it was at 5%. Here right. we are at 1.5%. I mean, they're really threading a needle here. So, you know, the, the margin for error is slim. So what did we do today, today being the setup for the Fed? You know, I'm, I'm preparing for some volatility. In fact, I've thrown out some IWM shorts. I think small caps are under a little bit of pressure here. I think triple Qs continue to stay. Uh, it's now, they are now prove me as opposed to the ones that we're holding up. I, I don't think it's run for the hills. But I continue to, and I think Dan and I actually are believing a lot of the same things here. I think it's a very similar backdrop, except for the fact that now you can be questioning certain things that are going on in Washington. You can start to think about maybe losing a total majority. You can start to actually look at volatility staying above 15. You can start to look at the risks uh, to the downside. You can look at 10 percent, uh, 3 percent on a 10-year bond. Those are very different than when we were six months ago when the sky was totally blue. I'm continuing to de-risk in tech, and, I, and I've talked about this 301, you know, sort of investigation that's going on. I do believe that's the next headwind. I think tech is very priced here, uh, and I'm taking money off the table. All right, coming up, Facebook on track for its worst week in four years, down more than 9%. How much worse could it get, and what does it mean for the markets? We've got a special report. Plus, check out shares of FedEx seeing a huge reversal after hours, giving back all of its gains. Now down more than a percent. The conference call just kicking off. We'll tell you what's behind that move. And later, 
him here, Tim Seymour, stepping up to the pit plate. He's going to pitch one stock he says has transformed itself. He'll explain what that means and why he is so bullish. You're watching Fast Money. We're live from Times Square in New York City. There's much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. The Facebook fallout continues today as scrutiny over the company's data practices has sent the stock reeling this week. We've got full team coverage of the story. Julia Borson's in L.A. with the latest headlines. Bob Pisani standing by with more on Wall Street's reaction. Julia, let's start with you. Well, Melissa, today Facebook hosted a packed internal meeting in which its deputy counsel was pressed by employees about how the Cambridge Analytical scandal happened. This afternoon, Facebook issuing a statement saying, quote, Mark, Cheryl and their teams are working around the clock to get all the facts and take the appropriate action moving forward because they understand the seriousness of this issue. The entire company is outraged. We were deceived. We are committed to vigorously enforcing our policies to protect people's information and we'll take whatever steps are required to see that this happens. The Facebook shares closed down another two and a half percent today on, among other things, Facebook saying it expects a letter from the FTC with questions about potential misuse of data. The FTC saying, quote, we are aware of the issues that have been raised but cannot comment on whether we are investigating. We take any allegations of violations of our consent decrees very seriously, as we did in 2012, in a privacy case involving Google. Now, this comes as a range of lawmakers in Canada, the UK, and the European Union, and of course, here on Capitol Hill, raise red flags and ask for investigations and for Zuckerberg to testify. And the state of New York just today announcing it's joining Massachusetts attorneys general in a joint investigation following Connecticut's attorney general announcing an inquiry yesterday. This is all against the backdrop of reports of management dissension at Facebook, as its chief information security officer reportedly prepares to leave in August after pushing for faster disclosures of security issues. Melissa? All right, Julia, thank you. Julia Borston, Facebook shares meantime tracking for the worst week in four years. Bob Pisani is more on the market impact. Hi, Bob. Hello, Melissa. Facebook is a big issue for the markets for several reasons. First, technology was the big market leader last year and into 2018, and it was partly because social media stocks were big market movers, not just Facebook. Snap, Pandora, Twitter, Groupon, other social media stocks attracted a lot of new money last year. The social media ETF, yeah, there's one, SOCL, it was up over 50% in 2017. Investors took note, and they poured a lot of money into that ETF. Its assets under management went from $3 billion to six billion. Now, social media in general is under attack, and it's not clear if this will be a market leadership group anymore. That's a problem for the market and for tech stocks. The other problem is risk of increased regulation. You just heard about it. Internet platforms in general have been very lightly regulated since the first laws were written in the 1990s. But with calls for investigations in Congress gaining steam, all we need are one or two more nasty revelations, and there will be lots of bills introduced with very broad implications for many other tech and potentially software stocks as well. Finally, if you're hopeful that Facebook's shareholders will rise up and force change in the way Facebook manages itself or even force changes in management, forget about it. Founder Mark Zuckerberg has assured that won't happen. That's because Mr. Zuckerberg owns the majority of the voting rights of the company. So Facebook's Class B shares, which are controlled by Mark Zuckerberg and a very small group of insiders, about four other people, uh, have about 18% of the shares outstanding. Zuckerberg himself controls about 14% of the shares outstanding, but their Class B shares have 10 votes per share. So the Class A shares that trade in the public, 
only have one vote per share. So here's the bottom line. Zuckerberg and a small group of investors control almost 70% of the voting shares in Facebook. Good luck forcing changes with those kinds of voting rights. Back to you, Melissa. All right. Thank you, Bob. Bob Bassani. Dan, what do you make of this I, whole situation? I think it's preposterous that people are calling for uh, Zuckerberg's head right now. I mean, I just think that yeah. we've just kind of scratched the surface of what's going on here. We live in a world right now where people expect instant response. I think the company is being very thoughtful about this. Um, there's no way this board is going to start talking about, oh, is Zuck the right guy? I mean, when you think about it, this is a company expected to do $70 billion in sales. They went public, what, five years ago? You know what I mean? So, uh, listen, it's how, just how, yeah, well, the hysteria has to <laughs> calm down here. The importance of what's going on, I think, is, is, is massive. But okay, you're, but I you're acting no, like you're, you're, you're giving them the benefit of the doubt that this is something that just popped up. And, and to not have communicated in any way, I think, is, is wrong. Bottom line is whether they vote the shares or not, investors will vote with their feet. That's right. And I think if you're an investor now, I think there's a whole new valuation metric that's going to come on your ability to cyber hedge and your ability to protect yourself. And management vision and the quality of management vision and their ability to do that is going to affect valuations for companies. And, right. and Facebook right now, yes, they shouldn't rush out there and rush to judgment. But, but it's as if this is not something they were thinking about. I mean, come on. This is, that's, that's the basis of their business. Look, I, and I think, I think from an earnings standpoint, this isn't going to have a material impact, I don't believe, to earnings over the next maybe several quarters. It may not show up immediately. The thing they've lost is trust. Hold on. And I Sorry. Think, but why you do you say that? that? Because the ad because, because, No, but think about I'll the regulations that are coming down the pike I, I, that are going to target. I hear you. I hear you. But right now what you've play. got is ad buyer surveys that indicate that Facebook is still the go-to and premier Network. Now, that could You're slip very also quickly. also assuming that users are going to continue uh, using Facebook clear. to the degree, Agreed. whether it be engagement or users. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure I'm clear. You can't tell me it will not be they, I'm, not, I'm not saying that it's not going to have impact, but it's not going to have, in my opinion, opinion, material impact and earnings that would derail the fundamental yeah. story. In the eyes of most investors, what they've lost is trust, and I think that's even well, bigger. That, that, that's so their user base. So I look How at it and say, forget the user base. I, How about the investor base? The investor base right now on the institutional side, it's been about a month where we've started to see cracks in the foundation from the standpoint of their ability to really buy into this story. They, they really have lost a lot of confidence, in my opinion. I think you're going to see we can't start to come out. We, there are so many unknowns here. We don't know how it's going to impact the business model. We don't know how it's going to impact user engagement or the number of users Facebook has. We don't know if even the self-imposed fixes that Facebook Agreed. will decide to do will continue to impact margins, which are already under pressure and how about those that have to do so? And on top of that, this is a stock right. that has underperformed the Nasdaq and S&P for the past five or six months. So as an investor guy, Dami, what do you want to do here? I think there's here? still downside to it. I think there's significant <laughs> downside to it in terms, I think, I agree with what David's saying. I mean, in a lot of ways, you're looking at this and saying potentially you could have an Experian-type situation right. with the stock. And that could very well play out. I'll say this, though, in terms of if you want to trade this stock. The stock traded close to 130 million shares today. Traded down to 162 and bounced. Not that that was a significant level, but it did bounce. So if you're looking to trade against something, five times normal volume in, in Facebook is significant. I, I think you can trade against this that. This stock has underperformed triple Qs, not just for six months, for two years. It's underperformed yes. the NASDAQ for two years by 5%. Are you so you can't look, tell me that this is a stock that, my that, that, that has a lot of support behind it. But I think this is a weakening of a position that people had already put their best money into. I, I Look, it was my final trade to sell the stock yesterday. I've been a long-time Facebook book. There's a diff bowl. There's a difference between biz the business and sentiment. And right now, it's sentiment that is hitting the story. It may take a quarter or two 
for the business to turn and really have a negative effect. And I think it's going to happen. Yeah, I, listen, Zuckerberg and Sheryl Sandberg can get control of this story. I, they're not going to be able to control all the things that are out there. I think from a regulatory standpoint, I think you focus on the fact that they have four of the most popular apps on the planet. It's Messenger, it's their Facebook app, it's Instagram, and it's WhatsApp. And that's really what's going to be a bullseye, I think, for those platforms not to be weaponized or those different apps on their platform in the future. So to me, that's the big risk of the story. And, and I think it will continue to underperform. Still ahead, shares of FedEx seeing a big reversal in the after-hour session. The stock now down after being up nearly 4%. The conference call's underway. We'll tell you what's behind that move. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. The Bitcoin bulls are back. And top strategist Tom Lee says this is just the beginning of the crypto comeback. He'll be here to explain. Plus, Tim Seymour is stepping up to the plate with one stock that's up 30% in the past year. And he says it's worth the gamble. He'll tell us the name and why he's so excited when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Companies that have jumped on the blockchain bandwagon are reaping the benefits. IBM CEO Ginny Rometty sat down with her own Deidre Bosa earlier today and had this to say about its push into blockchain. It's a different company than 10 years ago, five mm -hmm. years ago, three years ago. And so break out the pieces. For one, the new products and services. And we did return to growth starting in, in the fourth quarter, as you saw there. And the point being, 46% of what we make today, our products and services, are growing at 11% and are new to the IBM company. And a strong pipeline behind it. Blockchain, right. quantum, strong pipeline built. Of course, blockchain is still a small part of the company. So is IBM really a Bitcoin stock. So let's play a little game of... I like this game. Bitcoin stock Stocker. or not with IBM. So Tim, IBM. Mel, what, yes, can I ask one question? That's not what, the way What's the materiality sponsor. threshold? Oh, come um, on. We have no, come game. On. That's lame. Because then I can answer my own question. Stock. That has stock. nothing to do with it. Stock. It stock. is a stock. All right. Stock. Stock. Why? Because, again, it doesn't break the materiality threshold of mine because no one's going to give me one. So, oh, but so they so misunderstood your answer. So you're saying it's not a Bitcoin stock. Right. So they so undo the check. Okay, We've so getting so worked up yeah. in my own and lather here. Um, sorry. Okay. I don't this, think it's a Bitcoin stock. This Change game it. is really not Tom, confusing, scary, guys. For you, apparently. Apparently <laughs> it is for Tim. All right. Is IBM I can answer the question. a Bitcoin stock or not? Not a Bitcoin stock, Very good, Steven. Good answer in terms of it being right, direct. Simple. There, are no, there are no Bitcoin stocks. Correct. So it's not a Bitcoin stock. The blockchain. I mean, you know, listen, this, I think last year was estimated there was like $700 million in blockchain <laughs> services among companies like this, and maybe IBM had 30%. This is a company that's supposed to do $80 billion right. in sales this year, and half their business is not growing, and an imperative solutions that you just talked about is growing, well, and this uh, is like a rounding error Are in they that. making the right moves to get into blockchain? Well. Are they like investing? Not a Bitcoin stock. stock. Is it going to be it's meaningful? It's not a no. Bitcoin stock. I like how he handled it. He was waiting for a reaction. He was, <laughs> no, he was, he was a little, a little concerned. I should say it is because I like the little check mark and I like the ding, ding, ding. But so if they want to do it now, see, there, there you, you go. go. But I will say this. In no way, shape, or form is this a Bitcoin stock. <laughs> These graphics the are useless. They do $80 America, billion. Dollars. This year, $80 billion. Dollars. Next year, they'll do $8 in terms of Bitcoin revenue. So no, in my Four opinion, X's, even though we had two checks. All right. Uh, well, cryptocurrencies are coming back with a vengeance after getting pummeled over the weekend. Bitcoin is now more than 20 percent from its weekend lows. And our next guest says Bitcoin is your best crypto bet. Tom Lee of Fundstruck Global Advisors joins us now. Tom, good to see you. Great to see um, you all. A lot of G20 headlines coming out saying that they're not 
worried about Bitcoin as a threat to financial stability. It doesn't sound like they're going to regulate. That's Everything right. is rallying. Um, yeah, I think the, the headlines were less draconian than maybe people were worried about, but that's really been the case every time there's been a regulatory event. Um, but uh, in general, yeah, I think the reality is I, I think Bitcoin is starting to sit clearer away from the line. So I think increasingly, I think investors are comfortable that Bitcoin is likely to be viewed as a commodity. So um, whether regulations change around security tokens and registration, Bitcoin sort of sits in its own sphere. Let's get to your most recent note. And in that note, you say that you think the altcoin bear market is over. But you're not saying to invest in altcoins right now. That's right. So um, we have a, a preferred indicator to measure altcoin sort of cycles, which is the percent that have tripled over 90 days. And in, on January 13th, that hit 78%, which is normally a top. So really in January, we thought you needed to rotate back into the large caps because that's what happens. And this indicator has been falling, but last yesterday it fell to 3%. So we think that the altcoin bear market's largely over, can meaning... You, can you define altcoin for folks at home? So it's, uh, it's not a, general, a universal term. We're defining it as small cap tokens. So anything that's not among the 50 largest cryptocurrencies, which is a liquid universe that's much, you know, anything smaller. But when that hits 3%, it, it falls into a consolidation phase that we're calling purgatory, and that can last 70 days up to 200 days. We think it's going to be 150 to 175 days because of all these regulatory issues that need to be ironed out. And that means that the altcoins don't really rally until mid-August, mid-September. All right. But in terms of the big caps, what are we looking at on the Bitcoin sentiment index? Last time you came here, it was pretty dismal. That's right. Uh, yes. Uh, the Bitcoin misery index, misery which is index. really the measure of like, how does someone feel if they own Bitcoin? And it was um, 18 last time I was here, which was the worst reading since 2011. It's now back to 24. So it's still in the zone of misery, but of course it's less miserable. I like those emojis. Though. Yeah. Fantastic. That's, by the way, that's not how Tom puts, publishes the misery index. That, that, that's those... right. That's, that's your adaptation. It's a very... Uh, well, when we take a, look at, take a look at how it's actually depicted in his notes, and you'll, you guys yeah, like can decide uh, what you like better, these with the emojis or, or that. That's a little more. <laughs> I like the emojis. That's a little more technical. Well, that's why we want with the emojis. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, work better. So, Tom, let, let's just talk. I mean, it seems like light years ago when Bitcoin broke out at 6,000 in November, it had that huge gap, and then it literally went for the next six or so weeks or eight weeks to about 20,000. It's still in a downtrend. So we're having a lot of these kind of 20% rallies off of lows, but it's still in a downtrend. Don't you think there's a really good chance that it could round trip all the way back to six or 5,000? And still, the fundamentals of the whole ecosystem still be very much intact. It's really take out some of that euphoria that we saw in such a short period of time. Uh, yeah, I would say if, um, that's, that's the technical view from Rob Slimer, our technician, who does think he would feel better if this picture touched 6,000 um, and then rallied from there. Um, but one thing to keep in mind is if you count the number of hours we've spent below 6,000 recently, it was less than an hour. Um, so in February, you only had an hour to buy below 6,000. So I, I think that it, you should view it as a touch. And, and so I'd still be buying Bitcoin here, even if there's a possibility it goes lower, because as you know, uh, we talked about how the cost of, the fully loaded cost of mining Bitcoin across the world, so not some people have it cheaper. It's around 8000 So you're, you're buying Bitcoin at around cost today. All right. Tom, good to see you. Yeah, great to see you. Tom Lee, a fun strat. Um, Tom, Tom had mentioned the altcoins, I mean, the smaller coins, um, 
you were talking before about Ethereum and how it might be under pressure because of potential regulations around the ICOs, a lot of which are built on the Ethereum platform. So that may be uh, continued headwinds. Right. And that's a lot of those alt cords of those smaller cap coins went into this purgatory. You know, um, people were basically you know, selling Ethereum or Ether as they would sell out of these other coins. And so when you think about the regulatory environment, obviously that platform in and of itself, you want to call Ethereum a platform, is going to be under a lot more scrutiny, I would think, than, you know, a mega cap coin like Bitcoin. Are you still in any Ethereum? I'm still in Ethereum, but I mean, ultimately, where are they going to go if Ethereum was the play to build upon? Um, and I realize that there are other options out there, but again, it was it, it's it's certainly recognized as one of the obvious places to go. Right. And, so in the last week, we saw that Lightning uh, Labs yeah. rolled out the Lightning Network. It's going right. to make transactions on Bitcoin much That's faster. Cheaper. I mean, here's the thing: as this whole thing evolves, you know, you can't just be watching a couple things. There's a lot of things yeah. going on here, and there's a lot of moving parts, a lot of ifs, ands, or buts, or you know what I mean? Sure a, lot, a lot of what have yous, right, guys? Yeah. Well. Yeah. It's a very complicated case. Coming up, check out shares of FedEx seeing a huge reversal after hours. The company conference call is underway right now. We'll tell you what's driving the stock. Plus, Tim's rolling the dice on one stock that he says just made a major transformation that could send shares surging. Find out what it is when Fast Money returns. Fast Money, we've got an earnings alert on FedEx. Let's get to Morgan Brennan back at headquarters for the details. Hi, Morgan. Hey, Melissa. So on the FedEx call, which is still underway, CEO and Chairman Fred Smith saying economic growth around the world remains broadly based and that he expects U.S. tax reform to continue to boost economic growth and investment. But very close to the top of this call, Smith, who as FedEx's founder, is seen as a thought leader on global trade, did comment on the Trump administration's new tariffs. FedEx is concerned about the prospect of increased protectionist tariffs, as history has shown repeatedly that protectionism is counterproductive to economic growth. The better approach is to encourage open markets and free exchange of products and services and to reduce barriers to trade. Now, on peak season, since this was the holiday quarter for FedEx, the company saying the decision to not apply a broad residential peak surcharge, that's something UPS did, their rival, helped gain significant business in small and medium customers, also touting strong service levels and highlighting margin expansion in the ground segment, which handles the bulk of e-commerce. Spending also in focus, especially since the company has said it will accelerate investments thanks to tax reform. CapEx for fiscal 2018 actually revised lower to $5.8 billion due to lower spending in ground. The company also advancing annual pay increases for some hourly workers by six months to April. That's something that the company says could impact year-on-year labor expenses. Lastly, Smith addressing the package explosion that did take place at a San Antonio FedEx ground facility earlier this morning, an incident that is under federal investigation. On that, Smith saying they're very thankful there were no serious injuries at the facility and that FedEx does continue to assist authorities. But, Melissa, this call still underway. FedEx shares initially popped uh, in after-hours trade, and they're now slightly lower. Back over to you. So, Morgan, in your view, what was the reason why the stock went uh, down as much as a percent? Yeah, I'm still trying to figure that out. Okay. I think I think there's, uh, you know, they talked about sort of reorganizing how they report specialty logistics. That's something that could impact margins on the express side. Also pulling forward these salary increases. Uh, and everybody's still sort of sorting through the tax uh, 
impact on these numbers because uh, <laughs> the numbers are much bigger and not necessarily comparable to what we've seen in the past. So how much of it is the core business? How much of it is tax reform? All right, Morgan, thanks. Morgan Brennan at headquarters, uh, FedEx Parian's losses after hours here. Gee, what do you think of the Parian's loss. So I'll give you my response yeah. as to why I think it traded up then down. I think people looked at, so FedEx Express is about 62% or so of their revenues overall. They break down in three different sectors. Operating margins were 5.4%. The street was looking for more like 7.5%. That's a significant uh, decrease in terms of operating margins. That's concerning. Valuation is reasonable. It's cheaper than UPS, but I think people might be concerned that margins are starting to go the wrong way. Well, I think people have been very concerned about CapEx, and they've had a couple, they've had a couple shipping facilities they've had to bring online. I actually think they're largely overdone, and I, I actually think you know, the TNT acquisition is still going to be accretive again. It's had a small setback. Uh, I totally agree. 14 to 15 times 2019 numbers is a $290 stock. I think Fred Smith's one of the best in the business, and this is the ultimate operating leverage play on the economy if you believe in it. But on, on tariffs, if yeah, there are tariffs, how right. will it impact a FedEx? I wonder Does if that, that was the commentary that actually took the stock down. I know gross margin is important, but, yeah, I mean, I look at it and say I would want to buy here. Trends are super strong in, in, in FedEx. Uh, I look at the, uh, the setup here and say um, I, I'm a believer. I'm a believer in the way they're managing the business. I look at CapEx and say it was con a concern. They actually lowered CapEx. Well, um, so I say I'd stick with the story. Yeah, I'm, I'm a believer. I mean, listen, not too different than what happened in UPS just a month and a half ago. Uh, lower operating margins is really hitting it. You know, this, this tailwind that they had in uh, Amazon is soon becoming, uh, you know, a headwind, and it's going to be an arms race. So ahead, social destruction, Facebook, Twitter, Snap, all getting crushed today. As social media companies come under fire this week, one trader says it could be the perfect buying opportunity for one of these names. We'll tell you why. Plus, Tim is stepping up to the plate, getting ready to pitch the one stock that he says could be a home run for investors. But will the other traders agree? You can find out when he delivers his fast pitch. Much more fast money right after the spring. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time for an instant replay. Back in September of 2016, Tim stepped up to the plate to pitch Lowe's. I think there's strong support for the stock. And if we look at the chart here, you can see that $64 has been a low at the stock and a low that we've hit a couple times. It's a low that was tested actually last week when they announced volume was over 18 million shares. That was four times. In fact, it was the third biggest volume day. That, to me, was your capitulation. Valuation, it's now cheap. This is the time to actually come back into Lowe's and buy this home improvement name. Pretty good call. Low shares up uh, 23%. Well, that was a lifetime was ago. That was a long I'm time ago. <laughs> I tell you what, Lowe's is actually very much a buy now. I actually think Lowe's, after that last round of earnings, what they're doing is they're spending the money the government's giving back to them. They're doing what they have to do. They still trail Home Depot by a major margin, but I buy that stock. All right. So uh, since that was such a good call, why don't you head over to the plaza? Let's do it. Go, call. man. Yeah, let's, let's, let's talk about a company that's, you know, a little bit of a Caesar, but not little Caesars. I'm talking about Caesars, and I'm talking about the gaming uh, facility in, in Vegas, of course. And there's different reasons why I like this stock. But ultimately, look, this is a company that's gone through bankruptcy. And this is a company that in the old days, and that which put them into bankruptcy, they had the worst margins in the street. Now they're going from margins worst to first. The second part of it is this transformation from bankruptcy. And that, to me, is obviously crucial because they've marked a lot of stuff to zero. They're now coming out of bankruptcy. They're actually innovating in terms of IT. They're actually renovating a lot of rooms. They're running leaner and meaner. Their free cash flow is about 11%, which is as good as anybody in Vegas. And then finally, Vegas, baby, Vegas. And that's really what's going on. Because if you look at this chart, you can tell we all know what's going on with the gamers in Vegas. They've had massive runs. This one's no different. But ultimately, this is a pure play on Vegas. This is a company that, to me, 
is a transformational story. It's a story that had been forgotten about. It's a story that's now being run, I think, as well as the big boys. And I think if you believe gaming is going to continue, and certainly Vegas is as strong as any place in the world, this is the name you want to buy because it's got as much leverage to any of these places as any. Tim, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell, well, I'm not going to tell you what I'm voting, but I'll say no, this. Yet. You can't. It's not time yet. And I said you, I stopped. Whatever you need to do, guy. My question to you, Tim, is there's a, there's a huge short interest in this name. So it almost becomes a binary play. What do you think the shorts in this stock are looking for? It, they're looking at the balance sheet. And, and ultimately, the free cash flow that I'm talking about is going to allow them to pay down the, uh, a lot of these liabilities. I think the balance sheet is going through this transformation. That was part of the tease somewhere a couple commercials ago. This is a transformational story. And those are the things and the setups I'd love to look for in a stock. So, Tim, so, um, you know, Vegas is having kind of this awakening with professional sports. We know the Raiders are going to be going there in 2008. they got a hockey team. Does this play into the kind of right. like the Vegas, uh, you know, is, is this going to be a big story for a company that's very levered to Vegas like Caesars? Yes. Look, there's no question that the recovery or the sustenance of actually what's been a very strong play in Vegas is a big part of this. If you see uh, the growth story in Vegas turn around, if you see the economy turn around, this is a story that is going to struggle. No question. Time to vote. Yep. 32, what do you say? I say I'm a buyer. I agree with Tim. I agree with him. I think that it's very difficult to find nuggets in this market that are worthy. I think this is worthy. It's a turnaround story. I like what they're doing. I'd be a buyer here. Dan. Yeah, so generally I don't buy stocks with Z's in it. You know that. Um, no, but in this case, great, he makes a good case. I mean, approach. here's the big issue with that leverage. If you're telling me that the increased uh, cash flow generation with this recovery story helps them pay down the debt, then that leverage is going to work to the upside for the equity, in my opinion. So to me, not a bad buy. What does that mean, Guy? Hail. Act 3, Scene 1, The Life and, and Life and Death of Julius Caesar. It's a Shakespeare thing, Mel. You should know that. You went to Harvard online. Hail means, yes, I'm with Tim. This is an environment where large short interest plays get squeezed. I think hashtag smooth is correct. Royal Hail. Hashtag smooth. Royal Appreciate flush that. for Tim on this desk. But did his pitch for Caesar, CZR, make you want to take a gamble on the stock? Vote our Twitter poll right now at CNBC Fast Money. We will reveal the results later on in the show. Plus, Twitter tanking more than 10% today as the company faces its own set of regulatory issues. So should investors expect more pain for the stock? We've got the details. We're live at the Nasdaq market side in New York City's Times Square. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Well, despite Facebook posting its worst two-day drop since 2016, Amazon surged nearly 3% today, now surpassing Alphabet to become the second most value, valuable company in the world by market cap. While Facebook and Google have held back the fang stocks recently, Chinese tech appears unstoppable, with Cena up 80% almost, Tencent rallying more than 100%, Alibaba up 84%, and Baidu up 45%. So in a battle of the tech giants, do you stick with Fang or are the Chinese tech stocks the better bet, Tim? Oh, you stab away, Mel. And I throw Cena out. I don't really care about Cena. But Tencent, Alibaba, and Baidu, mm -hmm. uh, unbelievable. There's a lot of drivers for them. They continue to spin off assets. Baidu recently announced uh, they're going to IPO Chi. This is their, you know, essentially their, their YouTube, shall we call it. They also are now have their own Alexa coming out. There's a lot of the, the parallels that you're following for these big tech names in here. They're going on over there. You can make an argument. It's a bigger marketplace. I like the valuations better. I stay stabbing over the fact. But fans. you go tabbing, not stabbing. I would be tabbing. I don't think my stab, would, my stab would have Samsung. It would be Samsung oh. and those other three. All right, we're talking Chinese, but anyway. I know. Can I split I it? I mean, I think it's half Okay, half. yeah, yeah. So I, I, Bob and Tencent, I agree with, and I think Amazon. Amazon oh. continues to execute. Their spending is showing up in the top line, and people aren't concerned about earnings for it right now. So as long as they can continue that momentum, Amazon works, and Netflix, I think, continues to play that subscriber growth game. 
upside surprise. So, It'll work for a period. Interesting situation with what's going on with Facebook and the scrutiny here and the likelihood we saw how badly Twitter and um, Snapchat have acted over the last couple of days. And then we see these issues with China and CFIUS and all that sort of stuff. M&A in these spaces, cross-border or even here, um, you know, vertical sort of thing on platforms is kind of done. The whole notion, if you ever thought Google or Facebook was going to maybe one by, by Twitter or Snapchat, gone. None of the Chinese companies are going to be able to do it. Can I ask you a question when you're done? Yeah. Well, no, because you, I mean, no, you I, I, I value your view she, you know, on she that. One hour show. I value your and view we're on running tech. out of time. Twitter's selling down 11% today. Isn't that, isn't that we're basically? We're doing an options action in a second. Will you like stop? now. Read the rundown, like man. Like now it's, we're doing it. Let's go, Dan. quick comment here? Down, no, I don't. Right, come on, let's out of time. Twitter. Let's go straight to Twitter since Tim has his question. Well, ultimately. Worst day since, no. Sorry. That doesn't mean I'm asking you the question. You have a question about Twitter. We're going to go to Dan because options traders are betting. On what, Dan? Yeah, so options activity was three times average daily volume. And on a day, the stock was down at 10% at one point. Um, calls really outpaced that of puts. Again, it doesn't mean a whole heck of a lot. It looked like there was a lot of people selling out of the money calls, getting out of it. People were playing for above 35 over the next couple of months. The largest trade of the day looked like a block of uh, a buy of 2,000 of the May 32 calls with buyer paying 277. Those break even uh, up at 34.77, right about those prior highs here. We have a one-year chart. I think this is kind of really important for you guys looking to kind of trade off some levels here. Look at that at 30 bucks. It looks like some good support there in the near term. Thank you, Dan. Sure. For more options action, check out the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, are you betting on Tim's pitch? You can <laughs> still vote. Find out the results right after this. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Fast. Tim's pitch was a home run on the desk. Come on, but Twitter Tony. says... Unbreak my heart. More than 65% of people voting no. 65. Sorry, Tim. Final trade. That might be a record low, by the way. Caesars. I'm going along. Love it. Love Tony, too. Because my friend Dan Nathan hates Z stocks. Zynga. Buy it. Dan. Yeah, I'm short out of WM. I'm staying short. I'm keeping in the casino family there, Melms. Win Resorts. All right. I'm Melissa Lee. Thanks for watching. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.